This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Thanks for tuning in. This is the Tuesday edition of The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is, as you know, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering Bible questions, questions about things that are going on in your life. Pretty much anything that you want to call and ask us about, we'll do our best to handle. All you have to do is pick up the phone and call. You can dial 210 210- Three four zero ninety five eighty five. That's three four zero ninety five eighty five. If you are outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll free at eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. Numerically, it's six three zero five seven five seven. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And remember, if you are Driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Nothing going on on Tuesday, so let's get right to some questions that have been sent while we await your phone calls. Tony asks, when is remarriage permitted after a divorce? Uh, Tony, generally speaking, if you are the victim in a divorce. By that I mean your spouse has cheated on you uh, or if they have abused you um, um, or or if they just decide that they want to leave the marriage and and uh, you, you object but, but they don't care. Um, the victim is never ever penalized. Uh, the, the, the person who um, is a victim of the other person's action is always available uh, to remarriage, to remarry rather. So I, I just think it's it's one of those things where you've got to look at the circumstances of the divorce. Now, as I say that, I want to be realistic and say most people don't care. When they divorce, they get tired of being alone, they remarry. And that happens a lot of times with Christians, Tony. So what we tell people to do is, is if you have divorced without biblical reasons, and you have remarried, then this is a marriage that now needs to be under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, stay in the situation that you're in, and then serve God. But if somebody leaves you, if somebody's abusing you, if somebody commits marital unfaithfulness, uh, certainly you are free to divorce, and then you are free to remarry. Anytime you divorce for biblical reasons, you are free to remarry. Now, here's one other place I want to get uh, real with you, Tony, and with this audience. Um, the reason most Christians divorce is because their hearts are far from God. 
you know, I realize people aren't happy in a marriage. They're not doing the things that, that God would have them do so he can knit our hearts together. And uh, the truth is people end up getting tired of one another and they end up divorcing um, without biblical warrant whatsoever. Um, and most of those people, because they divorce because of the hardness of their heart, uh, most of those people will remarry out of the hardness of their heart. And that's why there are second and third and sometimes even fourth marriages that fail as well because you've never really dealt with the sin. On Wednesday night, tomorrow night, I'm going to be dealing with Joseph uh, and his uh, emotional reunion with his brothers. And one of the things that leads up to this point is you've got to be honest with the God, with the Lord. You've got to let him examine your heart. And if we don't get real and say, Jesus, my marriage failed in this context. My marriage failed. And it was my fault. Well, then we're going to keep failing because we have to let God deal with our sin. And apart from doing that, our hearts are always going to be hard. We're going to keep doing what we want instead of what God wants. And Tony, the saddest thing for me is in dealing with marriage counseling uh, here in our 26 years at Calvary Chapel is that most Christians, if they were honest, they won't articulate it this way. But if they were honest, what they would say is, I don't care what God wants. I'm going to do what I want. And we rationalize, well, God wants me to be happy. I tell our church all the time that God doesn't care if you're happy. He wants you to be obedient. And then when you are obedient, you're going to find that your life is rich and full and satisfying. But remarriage is permitted. The, the, the person who leaves without biblical warrant or the person who, who uh, commits adultery, um, um, that person is in the mess they're in, uh, in large part because they don't really care what God says. Tony, I hope that makes sense to you. Um, I get people all the time who, well, my husband left me or my wife left me, and I'm, uh, I wanted to come back, but she doesn't want to come back. But I'm, I'm, I'm holding out for my marriage. Uh, when somebody leaves, you got to let them leave. It's just that simple. Andrew says women cannot be pastors or in positions of leadership, leadership in the church or at home. Why is it that so many women are leading churches in pastoral positions? Andrew, I, I get asked this question a lot. Uh, and the, the reason, again, goes back to the same answer I just gave Tony about remarriage. Uh, the truth is the women who are in leadership positions uh, in churches don't care what God says. They want what they want. Uh, it's sort of the forbidden fruit syndrome. You know, uh, Adam and Eve had every tree in the garden except one, and that was the one that they gravitated toward. Well, in this case, women are told they cannot be leaders in the church. It's 1 Timothy 2.12, where the context is church order. Where the hermeneutic goes all the way back to Genesis to establish the foundation of the rule. In other words, this isn't just a cultural situation or specific instruction for, for, for a particular church. This is a rule that Paul lays down in all the churches, for all the churches, throughout all time. And women don't want to be told they can't do something. And so they demand leadership positions. Now, there's a lot of gifted women and gifted women Bible teachers. Every time I get a question like this, I, I let people know we got a lot of wonderfully gifted Bible teachers, women Bible teachers, here in our church. And it's important that they use the gift. 
But that gift is not to be used for the general congregation. They're not to teach or have authority. I think better translation of the Greek is to teach from a position of authority over men in the church. And by virtue of being called a pastor, we're in a position of authority. And so when we get up and we teach, we are violating the commandment of God. We're violating the heart of God and we're willfully rebelling against God's model for the church. Now, we can say it's not fair, but, but the, the, the argument then is with the Lord and it's not with me or with the churches that hold to the authority of Scripture. So, uh, Andrew, that's, that's all I can tell you. And, and, and I always see this as well. If you go to a church with a woman pastor, then you're enjoying far less than the fullness of, of the Christian experience that God wants you to, to experience. If you are a woman who is a pastor, you too are getting ripped off because in your rebellion against God, you simply cannot please him. That doesn't mean he doesn't love you, and this is not a salvation issue. I am confident these women love Jesus, and they are real believers. However, they're still ripping off the people they claim to love as a pastor, and they themselves are getting ripped off because every time, every time, we are disobedient to the Lord, then we're quenching the work the Holy Spirit really wants to do. So, Andrew, that's the only reason that I can tell you, and the reason I can tell you that is is just what I've seen over and over, and this is a position that has not made me um, very popular. People get really angry at me for this. But their argument, again, is with the, the, the clear, the absolutely clear teachings of Scripture. I would challenge any woman who thinks she's called a pastor and teach the Bible as a Bible teacher to exegete 1 Timothy chapter 2 and specifically verse 12. I would challenge them to exegete that in any other way than God really does not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. Andrew, uh, you, you also mentioned uh, leadership in the home uh, in in the Christian home, um, which which belongs to God by virtue of our commitment and faith, um, the same thing is true. Um, men have got to step up and lead their homes. If they refuse to do so, the women are going to fill that vacuum. Once they get in that position of leadership, they're not going to want to give it back. So, men, it's your responsibility to be sure that your wives are submitting to your leadership. Now, that means you've got a lot of responsibility because you've got to be worth following. You've got to be somebody who's, who's really following hard after Jesus. Your wife needs to know that you uh, are, are a man of prayer. Your wife needs to know that before decisions are made, you're going to bring her into the decision-making, praying process. Amos 3.3 says, How can two walk together unless they agree to do so? And, and sadly, men, too many of us, we just take this, Well, I'm the boss, you have to do what I say. And that is to misunderstand leadership. It's servant leadership. It's loving your wife the way Christ loved the church, putting her needs ahead of yours. Paul says, giving yourself up for her. That's what Jesus did for us. And that's what we're supposed to do in the home. So, Andrew, those are the reasons. Those are the 
um, situations that we have to deal with every day? Good question. Anonymous asks this question. Rich question. I'm sorry. My voice. Rich Christians, should they sell their stuff and give it to the poor? It troubles me that there are so many rich Christians while people like me suffer. Um, Anonymous, I, I don't know why you're suffering. You don't give me any details. But it is awfully harsh and awfully judgmental of you to judge people that have been blessed with the ability to make money. You know, we live in a world, I'm going to get on the soapbox for a minute. We don't have any phone calls waiting for right now. It's frustrating to me to see um, the world that we live in um, trying to provide for us, a government. Um, we just had an election, and, and it seems that they're trying to give everybody money. They're almost trying to addict us to, to, to free or to hand out money. Um, um, and, and that's simply not something that, that Christians should, should agree with at all. And it troubles me that it troubles you when there are wealthy Christians um, that you're comparing yourself to. So rich Christians should not sell all their stuff and give it to the poor. Jesus was confronted by the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler wondered, what do I have to do to be saved? And Jesus wasn't telling him, well, here's how you get saved. You sell everything, give it to the poor. Jesus was speaking very personally and individually just to him. Jesus knew that this man was covetous. Jesus knew that this man really was worshiping his money. His money, his stuff had become an idol. And Jesus was just telling him, this is what you have to do, not what anybody else has to do. That's really important. Let me give you a couple of examples, Anonymous. Uh, If you've been listening to this program in length of time, you know that we at this church, our church, we do everything for free. We don't charge anybody for anything. We never take uh, past offerings and we don't uh, let our needs be known. We don't have building fund projects or anything like that. Uh, We just let people know that that Jesus wants them here. They're welcome here. And if they can give with the cheerful heart, then they give. And, uh, you know, we're one of those rare churches. We have a lot of people, but we're stuck in a very small building. And the small building prevents us from being able to grow. Now, because we do everything for free, we need a lot of money coming in. And we can't do like other churches do, simply uh, have more money coming in because we can create more people. We, we're, we're pretty well fixed at the number of, of people that, that call Calvary Chapel of San Antonio their church home. But here's the blessing. God has a lot of pretty wealthy Christians. And God has given them really generous hearts. He's given them the gift of giving. And you know, if there weren't wealthy Christians, then there'd be a lot less money given to God's work. And I'm going to be just the opposite of you, Anonymous. I value those wealthy Christians. I value that God can trust them with his money and that they are so generous with it because that's what supports a lot And I mean a lot of ministry, not just at our church, but at churches everywhere. So it seems to me, and I'm going to make this personal for you. I don't know who you are. You didn't even name. But it seems to me 
Like you've kind of got the same problem about money that the rich young ruler had. He was covetous. It sounds like you're covetous. And you're judging people that ostensibly are going to be in heaven with you forever. And I just don't think that's an attitude or a heart anonymous that pleases the Lord at all. If you're suffering, ask God why. If you're making personal sacrifices and you're doing it for Jesus, he's always going to pay back in abundance. I take very little money out of our church. I mean very, very, very little money out of our church. And God provides abundantly. So that's an issue of heart. It's an issue of your heart, I think, Anonymous. Thank you for the question. Valerie asks, Pastor Ron, should every Christian speak in tongues? Valerie, the answer is no. Uh, I wish that every Christian would speak in tongues. Now, I'm paraphrasing the Apostle Paul. He said, I would that you all spoke in tongues more than I do. But he makes it clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, and then later in chapter 14 with the the use of the gifts and how to use them, uh, that not every Christian is going to speak in tongues. Uh, it's it's a strange gift. It's a gift that, that a lot of people simply can't wrap their minds around. Uh, and, and it's weird to them, so they, they don't participate. But But it's a good gift. But it's not a gift that determines whether or not you're a Christian. It's not a gift that um, if you don't exercise it, um, you're not saved or you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit or whatever else somebody might have told you. Uh, it's a gift that you should ask for. So, Valerie, if you do not have the gift and you want it, simply ask God for it. He says he'll give it to you. And this isn't one of those things where it's a name it and claim it at all. This is a gift that God wants to give you and you have to receive it. That's all you have to do. Receive it by faith. And then begin to walk in the gift. Now, it'll feel silly. The enemy will lie to you. Oh, that's not you. That's just you're faking it. Those kind of things. But but you'll work through all of that. And God will be pleased because you actually trusted him and took him at his word. This is a wonderful gift. A gift that edifies our relationship with him and a gift that everybody ought to have. Thank you, Valerie. Let's go to Bernie and talk with Ron on line one. Ron, thanks for calling. You're on the air. How you doing, Ron? I'm Ron also. I've been following several uh, prophecy teachers, and I get different uh, interpretations of Revelation, so I thought maybe you could help me out a little with some. We start out with um, the tribulation. How long is it? Okay. The, re- the tribulation will be seven years. That's from Daniel chapter 9, the 70th week of Daniel, Ron, will be the last um, um, seven years of history as we know it before Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom. So seven years, uh, and we know that specifically from Daniel chapter 9. There's only three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. But it doesn't tell you that it's seven. Yeah, no, the, the... 
that that's a misunderstanding. And by the way, Ron, I'm going to be teaching Revelation. I start uh, three th- three weeks from last Friday. We're going to be starting. Uh, but um, the the Great Tribulation, the, the 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 entire seventieth week of Daniel is called the time of Israel's distress or the Great Tribulation, a time where the 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 agony, the pain will be uh, like at no other time in history before or after. And so the whole seventieth week, that's seven years, is the Great Tribulation. Now at three and a half years. Um, the, the tribulation has already begun the first three and a half years, but that's a time of deception. When people are saying peace and safety, Jesus said, be careful. And, and that's when the Antichrist is going to emerge. Um, we don't know who he is. We, as Christians, we won't see him because we will have been taken to heaven in the rapture at the beginning of this. But he will be revealed and he will be proclaimed as a man of peace. But there is going to be great persecution. And if you will start in Revelation chapter 6, uh, still in the first three and a half years of the Great Tribulation, there's some terrible, terrible judgments that are poured out on this world. You are right in saying that at the three and a half year mark is when the man uh, we call the Antichrist desecrates the the new temple of God. He desecrates the Holy of Holies. Uh, That's when his anger is poured out because uh, Jews, of course, will refuse to worship him. And his anger will be poured out, and that's when the the judgments, um, the the uh, the vile judgments, the trumpet judgments, that's when they sort of ratchet up, and they get worse and worse. And there will be greater depth death in the second half of the great tribulation. But make no mistake, the 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 difficulty, the pain, uh, and the judgment begins in the first half of the Great Tribulation. It just gets much worse at the three-and-a-half-year mark forward. See, I've been following somebody else a little differently, lad. You're talking about the four horsemen, right? Well, this person teaches that the white horse is Catholicism, the red horse is communism, Mm -hmm. the the black horse is capitalism, and the pale horse, if you look in... Uh, the Greek Bible, the color is chloros, which is green, yes. which is Islamism. Do you teach that? Absolutely not. That, that's that's uh, false teaching. In fact, it's dangerous uh, and heretical teaching. Uh, we're told what those four horsemen are. Uh, all you have to do is look at, at the, the description of them, and we know the chlorine horse that you talk about, that is the right word, uh, but that's that's death. That's just the pale horse, the, the color of death. So uh, the four horsemen of the apocalypse have nothing to do with with communism or democracy or Islam or anything else. Uh, they're going to be turned loose on a world. And and again, when the Bible tells us exactly what they are, there's no need to do anything else. So, Ron, be a lot more discerning about who you're listening to or who you're reading. The book of Revelation, people, because it's it's perceived as being difficult, uh, it's not really. It's very simple. And that's the way I'm going to start my Bible study when we start in just a, a few weeks. Um, but because it's perceived as being difficult, and a lot of Christians are, are, are even frightened by the book of Revelation, it really leaves the door open for false teachers. And again, it is so clear. Uh, all of the symbols are explained. 
um, a, a good understanding of the Old Testament um, uh, gives us the, sort of the key to understanding all of the symbols. Uh, but but in this case, with the four horsemen of the apocalypse, all we have to do is read, and it tells you exactly what they are. And I will be in in specific detail about that. I can tell you one thing that might help you, Ron, if you will go to our website, calvarysa.com. Um, my commentary is there. If you go to the book of Revelation, chapter by chapter, my commentary, my notes are there, and you can kind of go through the teachings uh, watching my notes at the same time, and I think that will help you. But it's a very uh, standard orthodox view, and we just let the Bible explain itself. So be really, really careful about who you're reading. In this day and age of the Internet, there is a lot of, of kooky people who have all kinds of really strange ideas, and sadly, it's easy to get lost if you don't have the background. So go to the website, calvaryessay.com, and I think we'll be able to uh, to follow along. And, and this book is so wonderful. Uh, it's such a blessing. In fact, it's the only book in in the Bible that promises a blessing if you hear it, read it, and do it. And if you do that, Ron, uh, I promise you the Holy Spirit will pour out a blessing in your life. And by that, I don't mean something material, but but your 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 heart will be opened and your capacity to understand will be much, much greater. Ron, thank you very, very much for your call. We're coming up against a hard break here. Appreciate it. CalvarySA.com. Go to the book of Revelation and my... Audio teachings, I'm probably video teachings too, but but uh, um, the, my my commentary on the passages on each chapter is available as well. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. We'd love to have your live calls and questions. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to our final half hour of the program. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Uh, Chuck says, Pastor Ron, new believer here. What percent of my income should I give to God? Chuck, um, I, I, bear with me here. I'm going to tell you, you should give 100% to God. Everything that you have, everything that you are, everything that you ever will be, belongs to God. You are a steward of the resources. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to ask you for everything. But we need to be willing to give everything. And this idea of a tithe or a tenth is strictly New Testament, or I'm sorry, Old Testament under the law. Jesus, you remember, when he talked about the tithe, you, you tithe and it's right that you do so, he said to the Jewish religious leaders. His ministry was Jewish and they were under the law. He was under the law and so too were they. So to give a, a tenth, a tithe of their income or a tithe of their mints or spices or their, their harvest, uh, all of that was expected. Um, that is not a New Testament concept at all. And I'm, I'm afraid, Chuck, that too many churches use 
Uh, the Old Testament tithe, well, you know, it started before with Abraham who gave a tenth to Melchizedek. And so he set a pattern and we're to follow that pattern. But the Bible doesn't say that. We're in a completely new covenant. And the covenant that we have is a covenant in total. Jesus gave everything for us and our response is to give everything to him. So here's what you do, Chuck. You say, God, you gave me this amount of money. What do you want me to do with it? And he'll let you know what to do with it. But here's what you really need to understand. that When you give, whatever you give, give it with a cheerful heart. Our announcer who does our announcements uh, every Sunday for uh, the offering. It's the only time we make any announcements for, for an offering here at all. Um, he just says, look, either give with a cheerful heart or don't give at all. And and so this isn't one of those things that you have to do. This is our response in gratitude for everything that God has done for us. So God bless you for being a new believer. Welcome to the family of God. But you need to start learning right away that everything belongs to God. Everything you are belongs to him. And we're to offer our bodies, Paul says in Romans 12, as living sacrifices. It is, in the King James, our reasonable service in the, the uh, NIV. The, it is our spiritual act of worship or our genuine act of worship. Uh, everything. And believe me, God will take care of you if you are a good steward. So read in Luke the parable of the minas or in Matthew the parable of the talents and Jesus makes the same statement. So Chuck, I give with a joyful heart or don't give it all, but remember that everything that you have belongs to him, the one who gave everything for you. Thank you for the question. Um, <laughs> I, so I, I'm laughing because I, I never know what the motive is behind question. This is an anonymous question. Uh, it says, is your school brave enough to teach CRT, that's critical race theory, as a core curriculum? Um, no, we don't teach CRT. And and for you to ask if we're brave enough, um, the truth is we, we, we don't believe in anything other than the Bible. So critical race theory, for those of you who don't know, uh, it's the latest woke thing in many churches and and uh, uh, sadly popular pastors uh, Matt Chandler and David Platt and others um, critical race theory is that that everybody's uh, a racist if you're white you're a racist and if you don't think you're a racist well you don't think you're racist because you are a racist and uh, to teach that would, would be a violation of the Word of God. It would be a violation of Jesus' royal law of love. It would be a violation of Jesus' command to judge not, lest ye be judged by others. So, Anonymous, again, I don't know the motive in asking that, but I can tell you it's not a pretty motive. And you really need to, um, you need to be right with God. No, we would never teach critical race theory as a core curriculum or as anything else um, I'd, I'd much rather teach Philippians I'd much rather teach Romans um, so no we, we're, we're not woke uh, and I I'm going to say this in it and I, I, I don't think I've ever said this before but, but it actually offends me that people would judge me as being racist 
It offends me. That doesn't mean I don't love them. I won't forgive them. I will. But imagine, I've got two black children. I've got the most beautiful black wife in the world. We've been together for 51 years. And um, I think we're pretty woke. We're woke to the truth of the Scripture of God. Debbie says, Pastor Ron, would you attend the same-sex wedding if it was your son or daughter getting married? Debbie, the answer is absolutely no. Um, We wouldn't attend... Uh, the wedding of our sons, we told them if if they didn't, uh, I mean, if they lived together with their with their girlfriends before they got married, we we were we were interested in taking a stand for Jesus. And Debbie, I had the honor and the privilege of marrying both of my boys. Um, one of the two of the highlights of my life, uh, I got to stand there and officiate at their weddings. Um, if you attend a same sex wedding. People say, well, they know where I stand on it. No, they don't. If you compromise and attend the same-sex wedding, you are in the process of actively celebrating that union. And a wedding is a celebration. And if we approve, even when our lips say we disapprove, when we approve by attending, well, then what we're doing is we're choosing our children over Jesus. Jesus said he came to divide families, and this is what he means. Righteousness demands that we stand for him. We can't let our kids live sinful lifestyles, whether it's a sinful lifestyle of drinking or stealing or doing drugs uh, or, or, or involved in heterosexual sex um, uh, when they're not married. We, we can't do anything that would indicate that we approve in any fashion or form that we approve the choices that they're making. We've got to stand with and for Jesus, and then we'll let Jesus go get the kids. So uh, I absolutely would not, Debbie, uh, if they can convince you to go to their wedding, then what they've done is they've forced you into compromise. And what they learn is that, well, your faith really doesn't mean as much to you as you've always said it did. I know how painful it is. I really understand that. I understand that many times our homosexual children will say, well, if you don't accept it, if you don't come to the wedding, then, then I'm going to be cut out of your life. I'm not going to... And, and if grand, you know, they adopt kids, um, you won't have anything to do with, with your grandchildren. And that's just blackmail. So Debbie... Hang in there. Hang in there. We simply have to make a choice that Jesus, we love him more than we love our child. And I'm not being naive. I know how painful it is. We deal with it quite often. And it's going to happen even more. 340-9585, except for Ron from Bernie. The phones have been quiet. We'd love to have your calls and questions. This one comes from Martine. He says, do you think false teachers know they are teaching false doctrine? Uh, If they don't, will they still go to hell? Um, Martine, I don't know the answer. You know, um, I believe personally, let me rephrase. I have always believed that false teachers knew they were lying. And then I met a guy, a really great guy, um, 
it was a, a, a prosperity a church pastor, a really small church, certainly not prosperous at all. And, um, and, and he was a good guy, loved the Lord with all of his heart. And yet he'd been completely convinced by the Kenneth Hagin and the Kenneth Copeland types that God wants us to be rich, and if we're not rich, it's a sign of being cursed. And he believed it. And one day, I'll never forget this conversation I had with him when we were at the gym. And he had his uh, Walkman, this goes back a few years, uh, in his ears while he was on the treadmill. So I walked up to him, he took his ears out, and I said, so what are you listening to? He goes, well, I'm listening to Kenneth Copeland teach on integrity. And I just looked at him and I said, his name was John. John, Kenneth Copeland knows nothing about integrity. And we were able to open up conversation and and I, I just said, you know, you can check out anything that he says, and it's it's all lies. And he had a sad look in his face. He said, well, I, I just can't believe that God doesn't want to heal me if I'm sick or that God doesn't want me to be rich in this world. And he made a choice. But you could see the pain. And I'm convinced that guy man is still alive. I'm convinced he's going to go to heaven. I think he's going to have a lot to answer for. But I think he's going to go to heaven. I also think, Martine, that almost all of the false teachers started out wanting to serve the Lord. I don't think their motive was to get rich going into ministry. I think that perhaps through discouragement and through lies of the enemy, seeing God bless in terms of numbers of people that are coming, uh, other false teaching churches or prosperity churches, they get frustrated and just and get tired of waiting on God to move. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 2 says, Every man given a trust by God must prove faithful. And I think they pass, they, they fail to pass the test. And so I think they started well, with the right motive, uh, but they were seduced into teaching false doctrine. Uh, I think there's going to be some of those people in heaven as well. Um, God alone knows the motives of the heart. Galatians 6 says God uh, will not be mocked. He knows what's in our hearts. And so I just think we got to leave that to the Lord. But I can tell you this, I know a lot of false teachers, and most of them are the famous ones, who have been corrected, who have been rebuked, uh, who have been called out, and who refused to change because their formula is successful. Especially with prosperity teaching, health and wealth teaching. They're the only ones getting rich, and unfortunately they get sick and they don't have anything to say about that. So Martine, all I can say is that God knows their heart and we don't. The rest of us, when we hear false teaching I think we're accountable to be discerning and we're accountable to know it and the truth of the matter is is that we could close every false teaching church simply by refusing to go and yet we gullible Christians just eat this stuff up because frankly we're hoping that they're right 340-9585 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Um, here is a question from Richard. 
In your opinion, Pastor Ron, what is the major reason people refuse to believe in Jesus? Richard, that's an easy question. Now, there's, there's other answers, but the, the, the overriding question, or the reason, rather, that people refuse to believe in Jesus is because they don't want to stop sinning. It's that simple. They do not want to stop sinning. And so they don't. They don't. You know, the, when Jesus was here, they didn't like him. But at the same time, um, he loved them. His heart was broken by them. But the truth is, sin is the one thing that keeps us from the Lord. Thank you, Richard. Let's go to line one and talk with Elizabeth from San Antonio. Elizabeth, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, uh, Pastor Ron. I'm Elizabeth, and um, I just, it's a divine appointment, I believe. I've um, been having some um, difficulties uh, trying to stand in the gap for my family, so to speak, that are all mm-hmm. estranged. And um, I'm the oldest, um, late 50s, and um, they're... I promised my mom when she passed away, before she did, that I would continue praying for salvation and unity. There, my family's, uh, how can I say, well, they're, I guess, Hispanic descent, so uh, my great-grandmother was a curandera, my mother was a psychic, hmm. so that door, those doors have were opened. Now, my mother did become born again in, I believe it was 1981. And so, but she could not get rid of the prophetic knowledge that she had. Mm-hmm. And so um, I also thought I was born again. I said the sinner's prayer. Um, I abstained from sex. I wound up getting married. But I really don't believe I was a Christian at all. Mm-hmm. Because... You can say the words, and I know so many people that have said the sinner's prayer so many yeah. times, but it's about obedience, and it's about uh, learning, and and that's where I'm at. Like, I feel that it is my calling and privilege to be able to stand in the gap for my family, but at the same time, I am being attacked like unbelievable because they're involved mm-hmm. with really serious people that worship the darkness okay they do that and my family doesn't realize what they're involved in especially my son he's i haven't heard or seen we don't even know if he's alive my niece was just Mm -hmm. murdered sir march the 6th because of this type of world the lifestyles um they're usually they're all involved with drugs and the people that they're with are in you know, uh, the occult. I'll just say that. I don't even want to give him his name, any kind of power. But, um, but being alone, like physically alone, and then being estranged from the world, so to speak, because of circumstances, not being able to reach people from the church I used to attend, um, I just feel when I came in and heard you, because I went out in faith. I have not left my apartment since February 19th. Oh, my. And I made myself in faith and fear leave. Check the mail because they're, they're, they're messing with my mail. They're messing with 
They've stolen mail, the, um, everything, my identity. They're using my debit card, my iPhone, everything. And whatever it is, I'm just, I'm, I don't care anymore. You know what? Just like we said, you touched my heart like you don't even know. I feel really born again right now, sir. Mm. I feel that what you said touched me because I, I am a cheerful giver. And I believe that what you said about about giving, that you don't ask. You wait for the Lord to provide. And he does. He does. Right? Yep. And when I called the number and spoke to another young man, you know, I told him, this is all God, because I have been mm-hmm. praying for somebody somehow to come into agreement to pray with and to have an accountability with me because I just have a landline. I have Wi-Fi. I have this stuff, but unfortunately, due to circumstances beyond my control, I'll just say uh, I don't have uh, somebody to speak to on a regular basis, to study with, to maybe pray and fast. Um, You know, I believe every part of the Bible is true. I'm a, I'm spending a lot of time in the Old Testament right now, and I just know that you touched my heart, sir. Well, thank you, Elizabeth. Let me let me just share my heart a minute, and then if you don't mind, I'd like to pray for you before uh, before you hang up. Um, you you know anybody who had, comes out of a background of the occult like you do and the family, the the spiritual battle is is real. Um, and I don't think we understand that. You know, we, we live in such light that we we really badly underestimate the power of the devil. And um, um, the spiritual battle that you talked about that, that, that is overwhelming at times. Um, people need to realize that that's, that's real, it's true, and you're in a fight every single day. Um, your family has been divided by this evil and the enemy. Uh, is certainly not happy that you've become a born-again believer. Uh, and, and he's going to do everything he can to drag you back. And that's why as you stand resisting, um, remembering what you said earlier in the conversation, uh, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. You stay close to Jesus. You need to be closer to him than than even most people do simply because of your background. And when you say you're standing in the gap for your family, uh, this is going to be a, a battle in prayer that is going to literally occur for the rest of your life and their lives. Um, and, and don't give up. Jesus told a, a parable of the persistent widow, and, and the point of the parable was that we should keep on praying and not give up. So please don't do that. Let me also recommend a book for you um, um, that will help you understand the spiritual battle that you're in. It's a book called The Beautiful Sight of Evil by a lady who is also a curander. Her name is Johanna Michelson. Now, her doctrine and stuff isn't good, but 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 the, the, the spiritual battle that she describes coming out of the darkness uh, is genuine and real, and I think that will give you a, a deeper understanding of the, of the depth of the battle that you're in. In the meantime, you keep seeking the Lord, you stay as close to him as you possibly can. If you've been listening to this program, you hear me say all the time, just be with Jesus. He's sort of the antidote to all of that spiritual warfare. He's also the one that can fill your heart. So I'm going to pray for you before we 
go off and we're running out of time here. Father, I lift Elizabeth to you and I lift her family to you. She is light in the middle of darkness. And my prayer, O God, is that her light would shine so brightly that that the light that comes from her would be blinding, almost spiritually speaking, to her family members, and they would get saved. I pray for her son that she said she doesn't even know if he's if he's still alive. Um, Lord, reunite this family. We thank you for her mother who was uh, born again. We thank you for her courage and faith to leave the darkness. And now, Lord, as Elizabeth lives in and walks in the light, may that light spread to everyone in her family. I also pray, Lord, that that the 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 being alone, out of fellowship, um, that, that you would give her great faith and strength and get her out. She needs to be part of a church body. She needs to be involved. Um, Lord, Help her get healthy and strong in her walk with you for your glory. Amen. I will be praying for you. How do I reach your church, sir? Uh, go to if if uh, we're listed calvarysa dot. Because I I don't have internet right now. Yes, six two one zero. Yes, sir. Six five eight. Yes, sir. Eight three three seven. Okay. Well, God bless you and your teachings are awesome. I I really felt close. Thank you for your prayers. I just feel lighter and freer, and that's all I need is every day to speak to somebody and speak that encouragement and to turn that darkness and there where God is, there could be no 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 darkness. So thank you so much, and God bless you and your ministry. And I will give because I am a cheerful giver, and I do believe in your ministry. God bless you, sir. Thank you very much, Elizabeth. She sounded encouraged. I hope that was the case. Let me see if I got a two-minute question, less than two-minute question. Sean, he says, How can a God of mercy and compassion send someone to a lake of fire forever with no hope of mercy? Um, That's an easy question, Sean. God doesn't send anybody to hell. We make that choice. We are all created in the image of God. Largely, that means that we are going to live somewhere forever. We're going to live in eternity for eternity we have to choose where we're going to live. Are we going to live with heaven? That's with Jesus. Or are we going to live in hell? That's separated from Jesus. And God simply honors the choice we make while we are alive. He honors that choice in death. And so God doesn't sin. In fact, God did everything he could, even to the point of sending his own son to die. Literally, the father could say, you know, to go to hell, you've got to, you've got to step over my dead son's body. The good news is, Sean, that he's also risen. He's not dead any longer. He's alive. That means we can trust him. So stop asking dishonest questions, Sean, and open your Bible, call on the Lord, and I promise you he will make himself known to you. And you, Sean, forget everybody else in the world, you can live with Jesus forever and ever. Good question. Hey, well, we are now officially out of time. Thanks for tuning in today on this Tuesday afternoon. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And I'll be back tomorrow, Lord willing, at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. Have a wonderful evening in the Lord. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 
And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.